the legalization of sports wagering has brought more marketing, more advertising, more people watching sport, more people betting on sport. So therefore, there is now going to be an increased level of certain people online who don't take well to, I guess, losses and might portray that in a way of directing the abuse at the person they deem to have be at fault for that loss bet, more often than not being the athlete or the coach. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP on this Thursday, the 13th of April, 2023. Special thanks to the new sponsor of, of this uh, get together on Thursday afternoons and the Gaming News Canada Show podcast. We're very grateful to uh, Terry Levy and the people at Officer Hoskin and Harcourt for, for supporting this podcast. So thank you. There's an awful lot to discuss and debate over the next hour, including news from the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario that we flagged in this morning's newsletter. We're going to get into that shortly with Amanda Brewer from Kinder Group. We'll also be joined by Jonah Siegel. Scott Longley from the Earnings and More Gambling Newsletter Empire of the UK is going to be with us as well, along with our uh, Parley Media Group regulars, Mike Day, Mark Silver, and we're hoping that uh, Gavin Roth will be able to join us as well. Later in the show, Megan Chase the hockey and legs guru and co-founder of Staffleets is going to hop on board as well. We're going to start the show by welcoming Mark Potter, the head of delivery at Epic Risk Management. And uh, we reached out to Mark earlier this week and, and we're hoping to get him into the uh, section of the newsletter we wrote about the uh, the recent incidents or a rash of incidents involving athletes being the target of harassment on social media by by angry betters and uh, Mark, uh, because of Mark's schedule, we just couldn't talk to him, which is why we wanted to get him on the show here this afternoon. I think if you had a chance to read the newsletter, we've seen, you know, lately uh, Chris Boucher was on on uh, his podcast talking about some angry direct messages he had re- received on social media from, from someone who had lost a bet. Fred Van Vliet from the Raptors mentioned the same thing on, on another podcast. Mark, you were actually interviewed, I think, uh, a month or so ago for a PBS feature that the U.S. network was doing on the risks that student-athletes are facing in the NCAA right now from from betters through social media. Just wondering, I guess, first question, Mark, and, and again, thanks for joining us. Is, uh, how, how concerned are you about what's happening right now? Hi, and thanks for having me on the show. I, yeah, I think it, it's certainly one of the major discussion points when we go out and do our education programs, whether it would be with the NCAA student athletes or whether it would be with our other programs across major league sports in the US. It's, I guess, the legalization of sports wagering has brought more marketing, more advertising, more people watching sport, more people betting on sport. So therefore, there is now going to be an increased level of certain people online who don't take well to, I guess, losses and might portray that in a way of directing the abuse at the person they deem to have be at fault for that loss bet, more often than not being the athlete or the coach, I suppose. So when when during our NCAA programme, this comes up all the time. Every college we go to is stressed about it. We've had incidents where certain colleges have had hundreds of these instances of abuse And it's just something we need to put on the radar that given the legalization of sports wagering, it is it is going to be a risk and it may happen to them. 
even when they may have done absolutely nothing wrong during the game, for every for every game there is, somebody wins and somebody loses on a bet. So there will always be a certain number of people unhappy about the results. Therefore, whether it be through mental health issues, whether it be through problematic play issues, some people direct that abuse onto the athlete. And, and that's sad, but it's unfortunately, a, I guess, a knock-on impact of, of what may start to happen now more and more. The other question I'd like to ask is there's so much venom that's spewed on social media these days and we, we see it across all walks of life and we're certainly aware of it with uh, the political scene here in North America right now and I'm sure that's uh, that's true of what what you and, and Scott Longley have seen in the UK as well. I mean, is, is sports betting just kind of part and parcel of that venom or do you think there's potential here for this to be a more serious issue? I think there will always be people that direct abuse online, whether it be through the political views, whether it be through anything. But I think sports wagering has got the propensity to have people who suffer from harm through it. So therefore, people get angry, people don't know how to react, and people portray that anger onto the athletes who obviously they're, they're placing the wages on. So it is going to, I would guess, increase dramatically given the fact that sports wagering is legal and more people are betting on these games. So I think there is an element of it will always be there. But I certainly think with this as a specific issue, we've seen it loads in the UK. Actually, just last week, a female Olympic badminton athlete was given rape and death threats online in the UK because somebody lost a bet on a game of badminton. Now, that is certainly what you would call a more obscure sport and directed at a female, which is probably not the norm. But it just shows that anyone at any time can be irritated by a lost bet, no matter on what sport or what event, and can direct that anger onto an athlete. And we're obviously going to see that in the US with, obviously, the legal sports wagering landscape and people just starting to access harm, people just starting to access and experience losses, and therefore the anger gets directed onto them. So I think there will always be an element of it, but I absolutely agree that sports wagering is going to be the vehicle for people to have increased amounts of abuse online, unfortunately. Scott Longley from, from Earnings and More. Scott, you're someone that's been all over the government's plans to, to make major changes to, or I guess significant changes to uh, to the gambling industry in the UK. And uh, your newsletter this morning pointed out that it looks like the, the long-awaited white paper is, is expected to come down. These relationships between athletes or celebrities and, and betters on social media, is, is that something that would be part of a white paper and, or is it something that you've, you've followed with the, with the coverage you're doing around the industry over there? Hi, Steve. Uh, good to speak. Um, I'm not sure that the social media furores that, that we have seen recently are going to feature much in the white paper. I think... Um, the sign of that actually is 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 the fact that the government actually le has left it to the English Premier League to make its own decision with regard to sponsorship from gambling companies, for instance. And I, I think that that is an indication of the extent to which the government would prefer to leave some of the contentious issues to be discussed by the industry amongst itself and for related bodies to make their own independent decisions on that. Um, I think the, the more that gambling hits the front pages in, what, in whatever um, uh, 
I guess in, in whatever way that it can do, um, the, the instinct of the government is to try and leave it to the gambling commission or leave it to the operators or leave it to the football leagues or leave it to someone else to deal with it. Um, I think there are probably very good reasons for that because I think politically gambling is, an, is, is just a neutral issue for governments. Um, I don't think it wins votes. And you, you'd be hard-pressed to say that your attitude to or your public policy on gambling loses votes. So I think it's, um, it's, it's mostly when it comes to some of the controversies that surround gambling, the government would actually prefer to stay, to steer clear. That said, of course, anything to do with gambling harms generally is where probably where the rubber does hit the road. And that's where the government will... You know, we expect we'll be saying some things probably next week that will have some impact on the industry. Uh, Amanda Brewer from Kinder Group. Is there a role that an operator can play on this issue, Amanda? And is it something that's been on, on your radar? I think, you know, in the early days of trying to get this market open, when I was still working with Paul Burns, we talked to Doug Hood, introduced him, the AGCO, to IBEA because because a lot of the concern was around match fixing and how especially at the college level or the amateur level, um, when athletes aren't earning a lot of money, they can sometimes be more easily manipulated or influenced and making sure that they were equipped with education and tools. And so there's been a lot of focus on that with the market now being legal with sports betting, single event sports betting now being legal across Canada. These are, at least to my knowledge, the first instances we're starting to hear of this behavior in North America. And the AGCO is quite right. This is definitely the um, a purview for law enforcement and the team and the players that are being affected. This is not anything that the regulator has any purview over. But I think as an industry, we can take a stand against it. I mean, at, at a bare minimum, if it turns out it's someone's customer, I hope they get barred or banned because that is abusive harassing behavior um and does not belong anywhere in our sporting environments and i don't think there's a single operator that would be condoning that that behavior um but i think as an industry as a as a single voice pushing back against this um would probably be the one appropriate step i think we could take um but, you know, it's just it's shocking to me that it, it's turning to this now um, because of, of lost bets. So, yeah, it's unfortunate for sure. Yeah. And when Amanda refers to IBEA, she's referring to the International Betting Integrity Association. Um, uh, for the newsletter, I, I did uh, speak with Dr. Jeffrey Dervensky, who's a psychiatrist and a professor at McGill University. Dr. Dervensky is also the director of the International Center for Youth Gambling Problems and High-Risk Behaviors at McGill. And that organization, and the professor was telling me yesterday, actually does a survey with student athletes across the NCAA every year. And I think the last one they did during COVID uh, involved about 20,000 student athletes across the U.S. So he was mentioning yesterday that the new head of the NCAA, Charlie Baker, is very interested in, in this issue of harassment of student athletes. And Dr. Derevensky's already been given the green light to start 
getting questions ready for the next survey in 2024 around this issue. I just wonder, Mark, does student athletes get uh, media trained these days? Um, obviously, their conversations, whether it's with athletic directors or with their coaches, it feels a little bit like the, the educational process for student athletes. And, and often that media training also involves training on, on how to conduct yourselves properly on social media. I would think this is just going to now be an added layer to those kinds of training sessions. I would think so. I think, look, for, for any young student athlete, anybody getting any sort of abuse online is quite difficult to take. And I think mentally that can be really hard. If you're also trying to create and pursue a career in, in athletics, it can be something that almost derails that. So as part of our NCAA programme where we educate student athletes and staff on, I guess, the risks of gambling harm for personal welfare, the links to betting integrity, and all, also the knock-on impacts that, that gambling can have, and this is very much one of them, we talk to them about how to look after the social media, protect the DMs, have a fit-for-purpose reporting pathway if they are being abused online, and all have open questions about, I guess, how, how to deal with that. For me, as somebody that's been involved in sport and that's also had a pretty severe issue around problematic gambling, I can guarantee that I think the reason why this happens is, is people fundamentally don't like losing money. Um, some people deal with that well, some people don't. And unfortunately, this is one of those things that can sometimes spill over into athlete online abuse. So it's absolutely something that A, needs to be discussed of how to deal with it if and when it does occur, how to have a pathway in the college for this if it's an issue and then in terms of mental health impacts etc and then for, for i guess for a for a social media and media training that's got to be part of it going forward because it's ultimately going to be part of the pathway now with the legalized sports wagering market and the fact that billions of dollars goes on college sports so it's just a, i guess it's a no-brainer to be able to be to deal with this in the right way and at least give them the heads up about how it potentially may happen how it might impact you and how to deal with it if it does. Mark Potter is the head of delivery at Epic's Risk Management. Mark, we'd, we'd really love to get you back on, on LinkedIn Audio a, another week and hear more about the work that, that you and the rest of the folks are doing at Epic Risk Management because it, because it is fascinating. And uh, so we, we'd love to get you back and we, we really appreciate it. We know it's uh, it's the evening in, in the UK, so we really appreciate you coming on to uh, to join us this afternoon. No problem, guys. You're welcome. And if ever you wanted to come across and watch what we do at one of the colleges, I'm sure we'll be more than welcome to get you involved. But I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Mark. And before we move on, I, I did uh, Phil Gray, the head of trading operations for Sports Interaction, put up his hand. So, Phil, I, I'm hopefully, I don't know if you have a question for Mark or you just had a comment on this issue. Yeah, hey, Steve. Yeah, no, just a general comment, actually, you know, speaking from an operator's side, I don't think this is anything new that we've seen, um, you know, with with people reaching out to, you know, operators and now to, you know, celebrities and and, and athletes that are, you know, promoting gaming. I mean, I've seen over the years, you know, some some pretty wild stuff with people threatening customer service agents, you know, um, it, and actually, you know, and people coming after myself, you know, claiming that, you know, bets are fixed and stuff like that. So, you know, with the ease of social media right now, I don't see it as any huge surprise 
you know, that with, you know, and with the advent of, you know, gaming in, in Ontario, you know, and Canada, which is new and, and the access is easy now, they have targets, you know, people there's, and it's a very small percentage. I mean, let's, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it, within handfuls of people that actually go to that extent to, you know, blame someone else for their losses. So I don't see it as a huge surprise that, you know, given with, with celebrities and athletes right now, they've become targets. I mean, it's so easy on social media, as you said, to target somebody. Yeah, and I think it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, Phil, as when it comes to athletes. I mean, athletes want to they want to connect with their fans now. So, you know, they're they're on Instagram, they're they're on Twitter, they're on social media platforms. And um, you know, in, in a world where there's not quite the access, if you're a sports writer these days, you don't have the same kind of access to athletes that you had years ago. And athletes to be honest, in most cases, they, they like to deal directly with sports fans now, but that's, that's some of the risks that you take is that you are going to, you know, you are going to run into um, some crazy people once in a while. But I, I agree with you, Phil. It is, is a minority, but it still doesn't mean it's not disturbing if you're an athlete oh, and you're. Really? Well, as, as I say, I mean, I, I mean, I can, you know, over, over the years, you know, like, you know, we've had, you know, I've had people threaten to come to my home and try and find me, you know, stuff like that. Again, it is a very, very, I mean, it's, you know, minute percentage, but still, you're going to, you're going to run into that in, in, in gaming and gambling. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's part of, uh, you know, let's call it what it is, you know, kind of a vice, right? I mean, you know, for a very small percentage, again, for most people, it's a recreational, you know, pastime and a lot of fun and stuff like that. And I think we're going to get into the, con the conversation next and it's coming, you know, with a lot of the books in, in North America, with the so-called recreational books and that, um, you know, with, with stake factoring, which is, you know, the, the new, uh, you know, the new term for, for, for not taking winning customers and stuff like that. You know, you're somebody's allowed to lose, but they're not allowed to win. And uh, that's going to, you know, rear its head as well. And I think it's going to be part of this. I want to move on here, but I'll warn anybody threatening Phil Gray, um, reach out <laughs> to me and I'll, I'll, I'll send you some links to the hockeyfights.com from Phil's GTHL day. So uh, Thanks. Be, Thanks. beware. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Uh, let, let's move on to the, the big story of the day. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. Osler's gaming practice group has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving legal landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in gaming has been built over years of service to stakeholders in the industry, including financial institutions, gaming operators, and provincial gaming authorities. Visit osler.com forward slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com slash gaming. Now back to the show. We did report this at the top of the newsletter this morning. We knew this was coming down the pike, and it, it did uh, about mid-morning that the Alcohol and Gaming Commission Ontario has um, put out an announcement saying that they're, they are going to be engaging stakeholders on proposed changes of standards that would restrict athlete and celebrity participation in internet gambling advertising. Amanda, you and uh, and Will and, and Mark Silver and I knocked this subject around a bit last week. You knew this was... Uh, this was coming, uh, you know, having seen the AGCO statement today, is there any surprises here? I guess I was a bit surprised that they have suggested a complete ban on active and retired athletes. And if I had to guess, it's because, you know, the recent change with the NBA, the NHL, not really being interested in coming to the table to address it and maybe figuring out that if the two leagues won't be policing it, um, and operators will be keen to, you know, take advantage of these these deals with active athletes. Then, 
you know, they were going to have to come and do something themselves to try and, and curb it. Because, you know, Steve, I shared with you that CTV article that uh, was talking about Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, I believe, meeting one of their fans who considers them a hero after his sign went viral. And this is the conundrum the AGCO is trying to deal with, which is you have some of these hockey players who are quite young, who look quite young, uh, and they are heroes to very, very young children. And they have posters of these guys up in their bedroom walls. And then on the flip side, they are out there promoting sports books and none of them seem to be very comfortable talking about the RG that is supposed to be front and center with, with how we come into this market in Ontario. So I think it was maybe a case of this might've been percolating in the back of the AGCO's mind. If we remember when the market launched um, the standards for any operators that are in the UK uh, these were very familiar. Uh, they did borrow heavily from the UKGC standards. Um, so it probably was not a big surprise at the AGCO, given the whole outcry over the ban of inducements and public bonuses and offers, we're going to give operators a chance to see what they decided to do, how things would play out. And now clearly, you know, there's there are some outstanding lingering issues. And it's interesting that the AGCO has also tweaked the language from primarily appealing to to might reasonably appeal to. Because, again, if you use Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and you say, do they primarily appear, appeal to minors? The answer would be no. Could they reasonably appear to minors? Of course they could. So this is where things are going to get really interesting really soon. Um, and that's not even them anymore because according to the AGCO's proposed changes, they're out completely. But that's any celebrity, social media influencer, brand ambassador that could reasonably um, appear to appeal to minors is now possibly not going to be allowed. So yeah, interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, we're going to go around the horn here because we got a lot of smart people who are, who are able to talk about this subject quite eloquently. And uh, Phil Gray, did you just want to piggyback onto what Amanda had to say? No, absolutely. Amanda's, Amanda's correct. And I think, you know, you're seeing, you know, some of the high profile hockey guys right now in Canada, where whereas, you know, the NFL and MLB is still, you know, vehemently against, you know, any involvement on with their players. I know the NBA has, you know, <clears throat> been, you know, almost as much as uh, the NFL and, and MLB. Giannis has just signed a contract in Greece. I'm not sure how they're allowing that, but certainly he's not allowed in North America to do that. And I think you'll see um, uh, Ontario, you know, they've, they've, they've uh, been very strict in compliance and, and the whole, you know, the whole process of doing it. So I can see them going down a road and, 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 and having an outright ban on it. I, I would not be surprised one bit if they did. Jonas Eagle, the longtime Canadian sports media, I don't know, beat writer is the right word, but certainly someone who's got their finger on the pulse of what goes on in Canadian sports media. Uh, Jonah, you've, you've been fairly active on Twitter since this AGCO announcement came out this morning, and so I know, I know you have a couple of thoughts on this. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I think, uh, Amanda, your, your choice of words was, was impeccable. I don't know if it's legislation, if that's the right word, but whoever, whoever scripted this has used very smart legalese because you know I, I think that they've cast a very wide net uh, and the legal intent here is obviously very specific and I think there's going to be a very uh, deep impact on the broadcast industry uh, which is already stressed 
I think the ability for the outlets to now advertise is going to be impacted. And in Canada, you know, you're talking about hockey specifically, and, and now we're into baseball season. Uh, that's going to have a huge impact, I think, on Rogers and Bell. And there's a lot of media types and social media who've been relying on this for secondary or tertiary income as well. And, you know, they, they are influencers as well. So I, I think this is something that is come kind of out of nowhere. Uh, I'm not totally surprised by it, but I think it's going to be pretty impactful for both those areas. Uh, Scott Longley, I, I really wanted to get you in here today for, for you know, to talk about this because uh, not not it's it's exact same thing, but the Premier League announced this morning that they uh, they are moving forward with a with a ban of, of sports betting companies appearing on the front of jerseys across the, the Premiership, and um, you know we've seen in Europe where there are countries like the UK and Spain, I believe Portugal. They've been pretty aggressive in in the last uh, twelve to, to eighteen months in, in restricting sports betting partnerships and, and branding and that with with especially I think in the, with the soccer scene. Um, have you have you experienced this kind of the action the AGCO wants to take? Are you seeing this in other countries across Europe? It's interesting actually because in the UK, uh, the the decisions around whether sports people are sponsored by by betting companies, whether they work with betting companies, whether they're using them in the advertising, aren't actually under the purview of the Gambling Commission, but it comes under the purview of the the um, Advertising Standards Authority, who have their own set of rules, which all advertisers according, across all sectors have to uh, abide by. And the rules with, that pertain particularly to gambling are around, uh, similar to the, the AGCO kind of um, issues around if you're if you're using a sports person uh, in your advertising, you have to ensure that they're not appealing to under 18s, which is the official age for gambling in, in the UK. Um, so again, it's the government steps away from that, and it's the ASA which makes the rules and makes the decisions there. And there's there's often been um, various times when gambling operators have overstepped the mark with regard to advertising, not just with regard to using the use of sports stars, but also just generally with their advertising. But uh, I think recently there was a there was a decision from the ASA with regard to the use of uh, various ex-football stars, and it was decided that they weren't specifically there to to um, to attract or even you know whether they even by by default attracted children. Um, so I think there's a certain degree in the UK. There's a certain degree of common sense that's being applied when it comes to advertising and the use of um and the use of sports stars within that in a wider sense across the rest of europe of course we are looking at uh, just gambling and marketing bans outright bans on advertising um in in all in various formats and attempts to cut back on the amount of advertising um that is it's directly related to the, the, the opening up of their markets and the sudden influx, or as far as the public is concerned, the sudden influx of above the line advertising, um, which has happened in the UK. And that's behind, that. that is effectively the sentiment behind the, the anti-lobby and the, the sponsorship of football shirts, is that people just see it as being far too prevalent in some kind of vague way um, but it's because of the vagueness of the, the of the whole um, 
the whole issue and the, the, the way it doesn't really fall under anybody's technically under anybody's remit other than potentially the, the Premier League, the, the government have stepped away and left it to the Premier League to decide this issue themselves. Um, it should be noted, actually, first of all, the Premier League decision, first of all, uh, it won't happen for three years, as many people have said, that seems an awfully long time to, inst to institute a ban. And also, it leaves completely open the possibility that teams below the Premier League in divisions, the Championship and Division League One and Two and beyond actually do have shirt sponsorships for gambling companies. And the other thing is that the, when the games are obviously broadcast live on TV, there's a whistle-to-whistle -whistle ban, as they call it, which means you don't see adverts for betting companies while the game is being played effectively or during the halftime break for soccer games and, for, and around other sports. But obviously what you do say, see is the hoardings at the side of the pitch during games, which often will have gambling company uh, uh, signs and, and adverts. So the whole issue is, is really uh, kind of really rather rather messy. Uh, and uh, I don't think any, there's not one approach here that seems to work. Uh, there certainly isn't an approach that will suit all parties, put it that way. Uh, Gavin Roth, you've been uh, we've been knocking this topic around pretty much since we launched Gaming News Canada two years ago and, and started these Thursday afternoon uh, chats. Um, uh, I, I know I know you've had some thoughts previously, and I'm sure you have some thoughts on today's news. It's funny. I was thinking about this just this weekend, watching the Masters, even about athlete endorsements, because it was something stood out to me. I'm sure others who are close to the space that. Uh, an amateur uh, was front and center, Sam Bennett, as we know. And, and if you looked uh, in the past, you never saw a brand on an amateur. Now with the uh, NIL re regulations um, of college athletes and amateurs, he, he was loaded up with logos. So this topic of athlete endorsement is, is reaching deeper. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm missing her. I'm forgetting her name right now, but uh, the LSU basketball star and her ability to cash in so but it is a tricky path to walk and when it comes to i i do i listen i've, I've benefited greatly over my career from uh putting these partnerships together but i'll be the first to say i'm not a fan of pro athletes current athletes endorsing sports books i just think that it is a dangerous line um you know i'm, I'm pretty liberal and and uh in, in other respects, but I just, I, I was at WWE early in my career. I've talked about it here and we have to be very careful about associating that brand with, uh, you know, alcohol and other, other products. So I think it's, it's a good move. I'm surprised they were allowed to get away with it as much as they did to this point, but I, I applaud the, uh, the direction it's going in. Yeah. And you were referring to Angel Reese, uh, Gavin, who's at uh, a couple of stories uh, this week that her NIL valuation is about $1.3 million US now. So not too shabby. Mark, Mark Silver, I know you're chomping at the bit to get in here. Oh, thanks, Steve. I just wanted to tie it back to what we spoke about last week, which was really the, the, the licensing of affiliates uh, in the Ontario market. And I think the language, as I saw from the AGCO today, I mean, I'm very curious to see what the final language is going to look like because in the influencer marketing space, you know, the qualification of a celebrity and then the data that's required to figure out if they attract, you know, an underage audience, it's going to be very, very difficult to police. And I think, 
what we talked about last week was, you know, the inability for influencer marketing in general, you know, to be policed, whether it's in Canada or the United States by government related institutions. And so another point here where I know this is about betting and, and obviously targeting to minors with very influential people, but this is not a, a situation that's limited to sports betting. There are so many facets of culture. Dove, just in the last number of days, put out a very interesting campaign to target this exact area of beauty and the perception of beauty, specifically with, with young girls. And so this is all very dangerous territory. So I'm incredibly curious to see how the AGCO deals with this. Amanda Brewer, I want to come back to you for a second because you tend to understand the legislation quite well. And can you maybe just explain to, to our listeners the, the consultation process? Like if you read this AGCO statement today, it appears to be they're, they're heading in a certain direction and pretty firm about it, point where they're saying that uh, it would take effect three months following the publication of the final standard. Like when they talk about this being, there being consultation, what's that mean exactly? This has been the AGCO's hallmark since pre-market open. And so you have to go and register with AGCO Connect. You have to get an account there and then you can go in and submit your feedback directly through the portal. Um, and this is normally how they do it. They will send around some draft language. They will have specific discussion questions and then you're invited to answer those questions. And the discussion questions they've had is basically, are there more things that you want them to implement? <laughs> and also, are there anything that you want them to consider that would, you know, you think would be, you know, concerns that the industry would have with what they've what they've proposed? So, um, you know, on one hand, at my my first go through with this, um, I don't know how much they're going to walk back. I know we had talked about maybe the ban would just be on active athletes and not retired athletes, or maybe, you know, the stipulation would be that if you're using an athlete, they can only talk about RG. So all of that has completely gone out the window. Um, we were also not sure if celebrities, and I'm using that in air quotes because, you know, I don't know how we're going to define that, was going to get caught up in this, and it, and it certainly has. And, you know, I agree. The social media part of it is going to be way harder to police. Um and, you know, so many of the operators right now are very active uh, on like Instagram and Facebook and, and a bunch of other channels like that. So I think it's really going to be just with with who we choose to sign up and endorse, because, again, these are advertising standards relating to the targeting of minors, which is anyone under the age of 19 in this province. And I wouldn't want to be an operator who accidentally falls on the wrong side of this, because I think, you know, if, if we think this is kind of harsh with what they're doing now, I think the hammer coming down on an operator who it contravenes these standards, um, I, I do not want to be the first one to test that. But, you know, back to the point about Rogers and Bell, nobody's going to be crying if Rogers and Bell <laughs> lose a few dollars over this. Um, but I think it's the larger conversation about knowing that when this market opened responsible gaming was front and center and it is meant to be front and center for the foreseeable ongoing future of this industry here and if these are now the responsible things for us to do as an industry as operators in this industry because we are not here to sell advertising we are not here to sell broadcasting we are not here to you know invest money in hockey teams and the rest of it we're here to offer our product responsibly 
to the people who are able to enjoy it responsibly. Um, and that's sort of the beginning and the end of, of our, our job here. So all the rest of that is, is the fluff, you know, that goes on top of it. But I think back to your question, this has always been how the AGCO has, has operated. And I just don't know how much they're going to be willing to walk back any of this language. Can I jump in for one quick second? Absolutely. Amanda, there's one thing that you used a word there that isn't in the legislation, and that is targeted. Because they, they use the word appeal to. And that the lawyer in me does come out because those are two very different meaning words. And to me, you don't have to be targeting someone to be appealing to someone. I mean, you know that you know this way better than me, but a lot more people are going to be caught in the appealing to minors as opposed to targeting. Am I, am I reading that too specifically? I was not trying to quote the standards verbatim. I was just trying to say that what they're looking at are people who are trying to go after minors. So I use that word. But yes, you are talking about, you know, I think, as we were saying earlier, the change of language from primarily appeal to to reasonably be expected or reasonably expected to appeal to is going to be enough to just, I think, put the fear of God into anyone. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, it sounds like anybody that goes into social media before an event or game who has been tweeting, posting is now going to be caught. Like, I don't know how you say that if you're popular enough to be doing it, um, how you wouldn't be caught in the net of a possibly reasonably appealing to a minor, because otherwise, why would you be doing it? Hey, Gavin Roth, I just want to get you in here quickly. I mean, we've you know, this has been almost a, a personal hobby horse of mine. And, and again, anyone who spends time here every week, that I sound like a broken record. But I, I do wonder if operators and the networks have been a little bit more proactive and, and aggressive with, with especially with current athletes and, and doing more around responsible gambling messaging at this. Maybe they'd been able to get ahead of the AGCO a little bit on, on this one. And I, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. I, I think that's akin to asking the inmates to run the asylum, right? Like, I, I, I think they're just all going to be very happy to cash in. It makes me think of the whole wave to, to take all the crypto money when it was being thrown around and, you know, still maybe. But uh, same thing here. I think everybody's been licking their wounds from, you know, a tough two, three year period in marketing, you know, sponsorships, advertising that unfortunately they're all you know hand out and you know think later and uh, apologize later so it doesn't really surprise me that they didn't take a leadership position i think they need to be told by the adults um, what what the rules are and and then they will they will abide hey jonah siegel i'll give you give you the last word on this as someone who who follows the canadian sports media industry really closely on the one sense, I'm concerned because I don't want the government legislating too much of our daily lives. On the other sense, on the media perspective, I think the industry was looking to this to, to be its savior in the next great area to get to generate advertising revenue. And I think this dries it up. And uh, I think, you know, while I, I agree with Amanda that nobody's going to shed any tears for, for either Rogers or Bell, this is going to hit them both very hard. Uh, and anybody else who's looking to do sports marketing, because I think this was heavily viewed as where their next big pile of gold was going to come from, from, from advertisers. And, and that's now, I think, going to 
you guys know better than me, but this sounds to me like this is going to dry up pretty quickly. Uh, you can follow Jonah Siegel on Twitter at YYZ Sports Media. Jonah, thanks again for joining us. Scott Longley, the writer, reporter, editor. Anything that has to do with the earnings and more newsletter empires, Scott's uh, Scott's leading the charge in that. And uh, Scott's been a good friend of Gaming News Canada since we launched uh, this venture two years ago. So, Scott, really appreciate you hopping on uh, in, uh, in what is early evening back in the UK. So, so thank you for your time. You're more than welcome, Steve. Thanks very much. That's great. We're going to try to lighten things up a little bit here for the last uh, the last 15 minutes or so of the show. And I want to get uh, Megan Cheka in here on a few things. Hard to believe uh, that we're almost through 82 games of the NHL regular season and we're going to be doing playoff pools this weekend. And and uh, and Leaf fans are, uh, you know, I guess... Uh, I think if we were having this conversation four years ago, we'd be saying Leaf fans are giddy about the playoffs. Uh, these days, I think Leaf fans are, are nervous as hell about <laughs> whether or not their team can get it through a playoff round. But we want we do want to speak with Megan about that, and we also want to talk to Megan about the uh, the Accelerate program that she was involved in with yesterday, the Hockey Hall of Fame. I want to welcome to the show uh, Megan Chaka, the the founder of Staff Leads. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. And uh, I know you're busy today. I think you're on your way to TSN. <laughs> and we've mentioned in the newsletter that, uh, you know, we talk often about the integration of sports betting and, and sports uh, content. And, and uh, we, we are a fan of the work that you've done with the Strength and Numbers segments sponsored by FanDuel on, on TSN Hockey Broadcast. So first of Thank all, con- congratulations on that. Maybe just quickly, Megan, like how much of an evolution has it been like – you know, just in terms of doing these segments over the season and has it been a bit of a learning process for, for you and TSN and FanDuel and what gets you excited about doing these segments? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think like content as some of the speakers, I just jumped in and heard about, you know, five minutes of that last talk. Um, you know, there's obviously so many different ways that sportsbooks have a, a approached um, content and, and looking at using data. For me, I see a lot of it as more like, you know, predictive analytics instead of just descriptive and looking at player props and maybe unearthing some interesting stories. So, you know, when you look at like the lens, I don't think that everything has to be really betting focused. And I do some shows in the U.S. where they're just basically pick shows, right? So here's your picks and and why and, you know, very, very short snippets where, you know, TSN and FanDuel have been awesome and let me sort of roll with what I'm passionate about. And that's like looking at statistics from a a deeper, different level and tactics and learning about hockey. Because I think, you know, whether you're looking at traditional media or some of these like new content plays or, you know, combining that with sports betting, there's a lot of people I I don't think understand what's not on the box score, right? So why a team, I heard you, of course, reference Toronto Tampa. It's like when you're looking at projecting what that series might look, look like, um, you know, who are going to be the, the difference makers? Is it like a Vasilevsky that can steal games? Is it, you know, an Austin Matthews who's, you know, 20 goals less this season, but, you know, heating up as we're going into the playoffs at the right time. So I think it's just been nice to be able to, you know, evolve both in what I pick for topics and, you know, having a bit more control over what that looks like instead of just a very traditional betting type piece. Megan, I think any of us who have worked in sports media for the last 20 years has, has seen significant change with, with analytics and how, how they're viewed. And 
you know, I've there still are a few a few dinosaurs out there who uh, who who don't see a place uh, for analytics and, and and coverage of sports. And we've come a long way. Like I remember when I was uh, involved with revamping the Globe Mail Sports website in 2006, we brought in a guy named Alan Ryder who was one of the few people out there doing hockey analytics and had him write a regular column for us. And we didn't get much traction with that at the time. Do you get the sense that things have changed and that hockey fans now, they're, they're interested in what you and other people in the analytics community have to say about the game? Absolutely. I think business has just evolved in general. Like I think whether you talk about AI, the metaverse, I heard you mention crypto too. I mean, there's a lot of these emerging markets that data is king in. So I, I think that there's more um, focus than ever before on developing these technologies and really harnessing them. And it could not just be like maybe a straight data play where you're worried just about statistical models. It could be about how to incorporate um, data to help you be more efficient. So we develop a lot of tools at Staff Leads to empower groups to just do a better job with their day-to-day jobs, make it more streamlined and be able to communicate better with data. Uh, so I think, you know, as I see like general business evolve, I think sports business uh, draws from that or leads that in some cases. And and hockey has sort of followed suit. Like who wouldn't want to know um, some of the best, pa- like why is Mitch Marner one of the best passers? Well, you can't really know that without understanding some of his passing data. So unlocking some of those areas of the game that historically are lost on the box score, I just think makes the sport more dynamic and allows you to connect and follow players that aren't just like the handful that you see every night or hear about every night. Have you seen even a a shift with the the collaboration between yourself and and FanDuel and TSN with uh, with those strengths and numbers segments this season? Just in terms of, again, I think, you know, for traditional broadcasters or for traditional sports media people like myself, it, it's, uh, it's a work in progress. But, you know, sitting from afar, it, it does seem that the relationship between FanDuel and NTSN is, is working in terms of, you know, creating storylines and, and telling stories without, you know, ramming betting information down people's throats. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's part of like the appeal of some of that industry is it can inject capital, but it also is, you know, it still wants to be story driven, right? If you're going to a game, if you're betting, um, usually people are betting on their favorite player or a team that they're viewing. So, and, and it can help in blowout games too. I think they've shown in the NBA that, you know, viewership is way out on blow, blowout games because they'll still return in the fourth quarter to see if their prop bet, you know, what, um, was spilled or if their parlay went through. So I think there, there is that aspect where you can get that engagement um, and you can get just a different flavor and different feel without just reading out lines um, that maybe a, a small handful of people care about. So I think, you know, making it story driven, making it player driven, that's all really interesting to fans that have wanted deeper data to begin with. Um, and for me too, I've really thought about like the visualization aspect. I think, when I've worked in data science groups, I've always thought of it from more of an academic exercise, more like theoretical or like what's the best model to use versus like how can people interpret this or, you know, if they're on the treadmill or they're at a bar watching with, the, you know, no noise, can they understand something I put up there and take something from either the game or a game that's about to happen and feel like they understand hockey better. So I think that excites me. I mean, the TSN group has been very good that I've worked with. And I mean, they sort of started, you know, before sports betting, right? They were doing fantasy and they were doing other areas. They'll send me the video and they'll let me post it. But when I post even like traditional media on my social media, 
I reach just so many more people, whether, you know, people that work in sports in California or, you know, GMs, I get so many comments on, oh, I love that visual, or I haven't thought of that player that way. Um, so it's just been a really nice way to like share information and have an outlet that I can, you know, distill and tailor down to, to a more mainstream audience. Cause you know, a lot of, of the data analytics community is sort of behind closed doors, whether it's for leagues or teams or certain people that are really incentivized to use data for their own purposes. I want to shift gears. Uh, you were part of, as we mentioned at the, when, when you came on, on the show, um, that you were part of a hockey panel yesterday at the, at the hockey hall of fame. And, um, you're on stage with, with Mary Kay Messier from Bauer hockey and Tara Chisholm, the head coach of the Canadian national women's para hockey team, uh, Renee Hess, the, the founder of the black girl hockey club and, and, uh, Amy Walsh, the CEO of the future of hockey lab. And, and, uh, I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about that, that panel, Megan. And, and again, you're, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to believe. I mean, I've been involved with women's hockey uh, for 50 years now, going back to uh, the this, this late 60s, early 70s, when my parents started the first women's hockey team back in my Eastern Ontario hometown of Prescott. And, and uh, you know, it just feels to me that we're, we've, we're slowly starting to get on the right side of more equity in, in hockey. And um, certainly with the Women's World Hockey Championships going on in, in Brampton now, right now, we're seeing, uh, you know, all female officials now. We're seeing a lot more female coaches. We're seeing the incredible job that Carla McLeod's done with uh, with Team Chechi at this tournament. Um, maybe just talk a little bit about the panel yesterday and if, if you do feel that we've made strides in terms of uh, gender equity in the sport. Yeah, totally. And I think that panel was really impactful, not only to see the panel, but just the people in the room that were all there from, you know, all sorts of communities and a lot of Toronto people that, you know, want to grow and support women's sports and see not only that there's a case for it, but there's a very strong business case for growth in hockey um, and putting resources behind it as well. Because as we know, Steve, you know, it's one thing to talk about it a lot. It's another thing to actually have action. So to see FanDuel, Bauer, I think it was Harvey's and Canadian Tire put in that $100,000 to, you know, support and actually push forward, I think is incredibly impactful end to that, that event. Um, but it was a lot of like a think tank too, right? Like what's, what's the current state, what's going on? Obviously from my perspective, being very data driven, I look at something like the NCAA um, championship game that had more viewers than, you know, the men's game that, the big stars, they jumped up over to, um, you know, over a million followers on social media on the women's side. Um, you know, there's, there's not only room for growth, there's space where women's hockey can be even more important than men's hockey. I mean, heck, Hillary Knight was on Saturday Night Live, you know, we're seeing stars <laughs> very close to Toronto that you don't necessarily get to see every day. So it's something that I think is really exciting. Um, and I feel like with some of these, whether it's Angel City, uh, and the investments in in new soccer teams as well. Hockey is is really primed to have a huge breakout, and um, these other sports are leading the way, showing that you know not only is there a, a business plan and model, but there is a very strong case to get on it now. Yeah, and it's great. Uh, it's great, Megan, to to see FanDuel step up as one of the sponsors, along with Bauer, Canadian Tire, and Harvey's for this Accelerate program, because I think there have been opportunities for women's sports in this country that could use 
the funding and, and sponsorship support and, and with this new sports betting and gaming industry in Ontario in particular, I think there are sponsorship opportunities that that uh, would pay dividends for, for an operator. Yeah, and I think that's a really nice thing about FanDuel. Like they've offered lines on this tournament as well. So I'm actually doing a piece um, projecting, you know, the final matchup and who will be the winner. And I'm doing it the exact same as I would do with the NHL. So for me, it's about treating women's sports as the elite athletes they are at the level they are and creating that, whether it's linear content or all the shoulder type of content to help support and grow and just really get the eyeballs on it. Because we've seen if, you know, people can find these these games and know where to watch and attend, they're very well attended now and they're very well received. Megan Cheka is the co-founder of Stathleach. You can find her on Twitter at, at Megan Cheka, Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-A-Y-K-A. Uh, Megan, really appreciate you taking time from your uh, from getting ready for your <laughs> PSN appearance today. Hey, just quickly, any uh, do, sure. do you have a prediction? Do you have a prediction for Leafs Tampa? <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, I even had Curtis McElhaney ask me on Twitter last night, and I was like, "Ooh, I want to hear his prediction first. One of the uh, the backup goal, previous backup goalies. I think that's a really tough one. I mean, I think the difference makers are going to be Austin Matthews and Vasilevsky. Matthews has to play well for them to have a chance. And Vasilevsky can steal series as well. I think the team, too, to watch uh, could be in the West for Canadians. You know, the Edmonton Oilers have one of the best, if not the best, power plays in the game. And not only Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, scored 100 points this season. So incredible offense. Just their goaltending might uh, might be a, a question mark. But I think there's a lot of excitement. Like you said, maybe a lot of hesitation in Toronto. But if they get through that first round, there'll be a lot of excitement. Megan, thanks again for jo uh, joining us and enjoy the rest of your week. Absolutely. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks. Hey, Amanda Brewer, I'd like to, I'd like to finish for you today. And... and um, Again, we devoted a segment of the newsletter today to uh, kind of piggybacking off the a conversation that, that you and Will had last week on the on the program. And and then uh, Matt Lohman at uh, Play Canada writing a piece earlier this week, kind of, you know, doing a bit of pronosticating, I guess, on the what province will be the first of all Ontario's lead. And, uh, you know, and again, I'm not I'm not going to, you know, Matthew wasn't uh, firm and fast on this. I think it's it was a, a good topic to knock around as we did last week on the show. But uh, Matthew's got Alberta as kind of the, the front runner. I, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think out of the three, uh, Alberta, B.C. and Quebec, that operators would have the most interest in. I think Alberta seems like it could be a likely candidate. Um, you know, we kind of have to wait and see what happens to Danielle Smith and her government at the end of May. But if she comes back in with a majority, then it could be the right political environment for um, for some knocking on the doors there. Uh, and I think they probably would be receptive to having a model that is close to Ontario's and, you know, that they could put a Made in Alberta stamp on and get them up and running. But we'll have to wait and see. So, uh, you know, like I said, and you quoted Steve, I don't know how anyone could look at what's happened in Ontario and call it a failure. So I hope there are a bunch of premiers and attorney generals and ministers of finance who are starting to realize that this is definitely the, the path forward for their provinces. And just on that, Amanda, I'm just wondering as, as uh, when we sent the newsletter this morning, it's just how much influence does do the lottery corporations have with uh, with the government? I mean, is is there enough influence where they can 
they can just influence the government into not going down that the road of opening up a competitive marketplace? Or do you think at the end of the day, it's going to be the government calling the shots? You know, that's a, it's a great question, Steve, and I don't have enough understanding of those relationships in every province to give you an accurate answer. But I, I do think, again, you can look at what happened in Ontario. And if you are, you know, sitting, you know, if you're the head of a lottery corporation in the province and you're making claims of cannibalization of the businesses or your land-based casinos, you know, losing business, none of that has proven to be true here. Um, you know, Dave Pridmore last week talked about, you know, on the OLG, you know, kind of diving in, improving its product, improving its offers for its customers and competing alongside the, the operators that are in the market. So, I don't think any of the fears um, or, you know, the detractions um, that, you know, are routinely raised um, would apply, but we'll have to see. Steve, I, I could speak to that actually here in, in, in Quebec for just one sec. And, and man is right. I mean, with how much, you know, um, like you were saying as well, uh, you know, how much um, influence the, the, the provincial lotteries have on, have, have on governments here. Mizoju is king with you know the, the majority of, of the French speaking population and as well part of the English speaking speaking population as well. So for Quebec to go down that road, the Ontario road right now would be a very um, complex uh, procedure in as that you would have to have you know a French speaking site, you know, French a French language site as well as an English site. So I don't see there's too much appetite in Quebec to do it. I think at some point they will, but certainly not in the near future. I think Alberta is next and then BC. Great. Thanks for that, Phil. We're, we're going to end it there. Um, thanks very much, Phil. Great. Great to have you on the show for the first time. We hope you come back again sometime. Uh, Amanda Brewer, thank you as always. Uh, Mark Silver, Gavin Roth, uh, Jonah Siegel, Megan Chaka, Mark Potter, and Scott Longley. Um, boy, an awful lot of voices on the show today, but uh, a lot of great insight as always. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody, in the Canada Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt, LLP. We're here every Thursday afternoon between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, please, if you haven't, subscribe to the Gaming News Canada newsletter. You can find it on Substack. Uh, everybody, if you're living in this part of the world in Ontario right now, enjoy this beautiful weather we're having. Uh, if you're on the road this weekend, safe travels, and we'll look forward to seeing everybody here again in seven days' time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest. 